Jeremiah 29, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Uh, we're going to be kind of camping out here in this passage. And uh, I'm going to give a little bit of context of where we are, the narrative of our faith. Uh, many of you may recall, may know the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Come on, some of you can recite it. For I know the plans I have for you. Declare the Lord. Come on. It was on your grandmother's wall when you grew up. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Uh, it's a great verse. But let me just say this. It's important always when we read scripture to also know context. Uh, because Jeremiah 29, to give context, God was speaking to the Jewish people who were in exile, and they were taken from their homeland as prisoners of war. Uh, he speaks this word to them in that moment, so it's a pretty profound moment. In a time where there may not se seem to be no hope, God is speaking hope. Or aren't you grateful that we serve a God, even in hopeless situations, we can still have hope? That even in situations don't seem to get better, with God all things are impossible. Do you believe it, 1115? Come on, somebody. That with God all things are possible. So God gives them this promise, but we must understand the context. So what happened was King Nebuchadnezzar, he took the Jewish people out of Judah. He took them, and he took them as prisoners of war. So now they find themselves in a city called Babylon, which to give context is modern-day Iraq. He takes them, he brings them into Babylon, and in Babylon, they are there, they are exiled. They are not in their homeland. In Jeremiah 28, uh, a, a false prophet, Hananiah, comes and he says to the, to the Jewish people, uh, hey, in two years, God's going to deliver you out of exile. They're like, come on, somebody, pop the champagne, let's go. Two years, I can do anything for two years. But listen, he was just telling them that. Because that's what they wanted to hear. Be very careful about people who only tell you what you want to hear. Because his intention was not to help the Jewish people. He just wanted to kind of give them what they wanted to hear. So Jeremiah lovingly but directly speaks the truth. And we'll see that it wasn't two years. It was 70 years they were going to be in exile. But God gives them some instruction on what do you do when you are in exile. So let's read. We're going to be starting verse 4. Uh, it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. So watch this. All those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Uh, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. Here it comes. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
Now, you might read this, might think to yourself, Jeremy, what's the application for my life in 2022 as a follower of Jesus to read about Jewish people in exile in Babylon back at this time? It's a great question. In the New Testament, we are actually referred to as followers of Jesus as exiles. Read this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Peter says this to New Testament Christians. Dear friends, I urge you, watch this, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter reminds the people that you are exiles on this earth. Here's what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. Uh, that you are here for a moment. James said this, that life is but a vapor. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on, somebody. But you are a foreigner. You're an exile. You are not here forever. This is not your forever home. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. That you are in exile. So here's why this, this, this chapter is so applicable. Because God gives instruction to them as exiles of what do you do in, in this city that you are there for a moment. And we can apply this to our life. So what do we do on this earth? Because we're here for a moment. So there's three things he calls them to do that I want to highlight and take note of. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, just write this down somewhere. All right, you didn't laugh to that one. I'll move on. Scratch that. Don't say it again. I am called, we are called to advance God's mission. I think it's intriguing. He says, I have twice. He says, I have carried you into exile. Upon first hearing, I would say, God, I don't know if you, if you understand this, but it was actually King Nebuchadnezzar. He took us out of our land. He's the one who took us into exile. I want you to hear this. And this is important theologically what God's communicating, that he is sovereign over all things. So he's saying, yes, King Nebuchadnezzar may have took you in as a prisoner of war. He may have brought you here, but I carried you here. And can I encourage someone in this room, maybe you're here today and you say, it's the military that brought me here to Bethesda or to D.C., but may I just encourage you with this. It may have been the military who brought you here, but it's God who actually sent you here. It may have been your degree program at American or the Uniformed Services University or Howard that you think brought you here, but it was God in heaven who has called you here. That God has called you here. That God has sent you here. That God has purpose for you here. I was reminded back when we started the church and uh, there were some, uh, I was telling some people both in this area and outside that we were starting a church in Bethesda. And people, I, I literally had several folks ask me, why are you starting a church in Bethesda? Like they were implying, like, do you know how hard it is going to be to find space? Uh, how many of you know it's hard to find land in Bethesda? Come on, somebody. Uh, they're like, you know how hard it's going to be to find a, a permanent space one day? But you know what I held on to? God called us here. And whether you consciously realize that or not, God's called you here. Wherever you are, God has called you to where you find yourself. And then he says this, build houses. He's like, be Chip and Joanna Gaines. Come on, somebody. Settle down, plant some gardens, 
and eat what they produce. He says, I want you, I want you to plant yourself. He says, I want you to settle where I have sent you. I want you to plant your roots. I want you to get planted. I want you to love and serve where you are. It's intriguing, he says of them too. He says, listen, do not get distracted by these false prophets and diviners that are trying to tell you these things that are not true. God does caution them. God instructs them that in the process of you being in Babylon, make sure you maintain your identity as the people of God. Here's what he says. As you are in Babylon, make sure you do not allow Babylon to get into you. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12 to the Roman church. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this culture. Can I tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a non-conformist. That we do not merely fall in line with the cultural norms and mores, whatever popular ideology is out. No, we pull every cultural norm, more, and ideology through the never-changing eternal word of God. Because we are called to be the people of God. In the same way, listen, we are not called to conform to the culture. We are not called to allow Babylon to get into us. Matthew 5, 13, this is Jesus. He said this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt does two things. Uh, it, it enhances whatever it's added to. Come on, you ever had a, a meal? It tasted terrible. Come on, add a little two dashes of salt. You're like, this is amazing. Come on, how many thank, let's just thank God for salt right now. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> My children would not eat vegetables if we're not for salt. <laughs> I would not eat vegetables. Like, people who eat, like, just raw broccoli, I'm like, I don't know. <sighs> Something wrong with your taste buds. Okay, I wasn't in my notes. We'll carry on. But salt makes everything better. It enhances. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. That you are called to make the world around you better. That you are called to be a blessing to those around you. You are called to preserve, to prevent. Salt would prevent corruption. That, that we are called, he sends us in to be salt. Now, how do you become salty? Because we can lose saltiness. I, I think an important thing to focus on, to go back to that Romans 12 scripture, many of you know this. Paul says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind with the word of God. I was reminded years ago, I heard this phrase and it always stuck with me. Uh, it was a personal trainer. He said, he said that a great day in the gym can be ruined by a bad day in the kitchen. In other words, nutrition is more important than exercise. Anybody else like me, you wish it wasn't true? Come on, somebody. Like if I just use 60 minutes of the gym, everything is a race. Come on, somebody. But, but nutrition matters more than exercise when it comes to your physical health. And listen, what matters is your mental nutrition. What are you feeding your mind on? 
to, to be transformed, we must feed our mind on the word of God. Allow the word of God to change us, to transform us. Because to be, as Jesus said, salt, to, to not conform to the culture, but be transformed in a, in a culture where people are quick to cancel, as the people of God, we are called to be quick to forgive. Can I get an amen? amen. In a culture where that can be harsh, we're called to be kind. In a culture that focuses on consuming, we're called to be generous. In a culture where we see you don't have to look far in the media to see morality, we are called to be holy and righteous. You're called to be salt, as Jesus said. We're called to stand out. And then in verse 6, he says to them, increase in number there, do not decrease. So he doesn't tell them, hey, in Babylon, why don't you just go ahead, go into your houses, shut the door, batten down the hatches. Don't let Babylon get in. No, he says, I actually want you to increase, not decrease. I want you to actually grow and expand as the people of God while you are there. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Many of you know the scripture. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That he, he, Jesus, see, in this moment, God invites the Jewish people to participate in his mission. I want you to increase. Jesus, in his final words to his disciples, invites them. I want you to hear this. He invites them to move from being a passive observer of the mission of God to be an active participator in the mission of God. And can I tell you that invitation stands for you and me today. And maybe some of you, you've, you've seen God move. Can I tell you what God wants you to take a step towards? It's actually being a part of him moving, not just in you, but through you. That God wants to invite you to be a part of his mission. It reminded me years ago, growing up, I went to a lot of baseball games with my dad. Uh, my family were Baltimore Orioles fans, you know, back years ago when they were good. Come on, anybody else remember those days? Uh, it's been a long time. Um, but I, I do not remember really most of the games I went to. One game he took me to was actually at a, it was a, it was a minor league baseball game, the Wilmington Blue Rocks in Wilmington, Delaware. And, the, and I remember this game very, like, in detail, and, and here's why. Before the game started, we were in our seats, and a staff member came and tapped my dad and myself on the shoulder. And they said, hey, would you want to go out on the field before the game starts and catch fly balls? I'm like, well, do birds fly? Yes, I do want to go catch fly balls. I was 12 years old. This was the upper echelon of life when you're 12 years old. Come on, right? Like, I'm going to go onto the field, professional baseball players, this is my life. This is, you know, the highest mark of my life right here. So I went out on the field. I remember that the grass was wet because it had rained earlier that day. Um, I can remember it was kind of partly cloudy. I remember all of these details. Here's why. I went from being a passive observer sitting in the stands to being an active participator on the field. And God invites us. God invites you to be a person who shares your faith to be a person who makes disciples. Can I tell you, this is why, this is a big part of our heart and reason why we're doing the Believe Initiative. 
And so you can step in to be a part of what we believe God wants to do in this area. And can I tell you, if you move from passive observation into active participation, can I tell you, it's actually better for you. It's not just better for those who are blessed by your participation. It's also better for you. As we spoke of last week, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 9.31. I love this scripture. It says this, uh, that in the, the early church, watch this, that the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I want you to note this, it multiplied. I want to submit a thought to you. It is God's will for his church to grow. It is God's will for the church of Jesus Christ to grow. For more people to come to faith. For more people to find hope in Jesus for more of those struggling with addiction to find freedom in Christ, for those who are feeling lonely to be set in spiritual family, for those to find hope in Christ. You know, the early church in Acts chapter 2, it says in one day, 3,000 people were added to their number. In one day, 3,000 people. If you look at the, the life of Paul alone, See, see how much the church was growing and expanding. In AD 47, he planted the church in Galatia. In AD 48, he started a church in Philippi. Then he started a church in Thessalonica. Then in AD 49, he started the church in Corinth. Then in AD 52, he started the church in Ephesus. Anybody else reading Paul's activity already feel tired? Come on, somebody. I need a nap from what Paul did. <laughs> The church is called to grow. Can I get amen? amen? Listen, like God wants his church to be growing because it's about people's lives being changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you. It wasn't me though, it was Jesus. He said, go forth and make disciples. He told a group of Jewish young men who had not traveled more than 30 miles, he said, go to the ends of the earth. Where is that Jesus? <laughs> For us, go to Bethesda, Silver Spring, Gaithersburg, Germantown, Columbia, Arlington, Fairfax, D.C. Go all over. Why? Because he's instructed us to. May I submit this to you? You can write this down. A growing church is an uncomfortable church. Because here's why. As the church grows, you will be asked to give to the mission of the church. You will be asked to serve on the mission of the church. You will be asked to invite people to join the church. You, you will be asked, and this is coming, so you can write this down. You will be asked at some point, hey, can you actually go to a later service or an earlier service so we can reach more people who do not yet know Christ in this service? And here's why this is important to take note of, because Jesus himself said this in the Gospels. He says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. I once heard someone say this way. Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. 
Can I tell you what following Jesus is about? It's actually inconveniencing yourself for the sake of him and his mission. It's not about being comfortable and convenient. Can I be honest? Maybe you've even thought this. Maybe you have. Why are we trying to get a permanent building? Why are we being asked to give to get a building? Like, this is good. Can I say this humbly but directly? It's not about you. We have limitations here. And we have a mission that Jesus gave years ago. Go forth and make disciples. So we are moving into a permanent building so we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we can make disciples. That we can have a home base in the future. That we can start locations in Silver Spring and Gaithersburg and Columbia and Arlington and D.C. and Fairfax. Here's why. Maybe you even thought, why would we start more locations? Because here's why. You'll drive from Silver Spring but there's someone in your neighborhood who is far from God that will not drive to Bethesda. We are called to make disciples. Can I submit one other thought why we should inconvenience ourselves? Jesus is enough. And we'll end with that one. But at one point, someone inconvenienced themselves for you. Someone gave to this church before you ever attended so you could find this church. Someone served, listen, someone and someones, a group of people came here this morning as early as 7 a.m., some even earlier, to set up so we should work, worship Christ together. Someone inconvenienced in themselves this morning. Come on, can we give it up for our setup team, our production team, worship team, all those who are here early? Listen. So listen, we inconvenience ourselves. And I know this, some of you may even have this thought, Jeremy, I will not be here in two years to see the building. Can I, I lovingly encourage you with this truth. The building is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and his mission. Can I get an amen? amen. We're called to inconvenience ourselves. I want to share one last thing about this. Barna, a Christian research group back in 2019, they did this study across cities in America of looking at what cities are the most post-Christian cities. And they've defined post-Christian as essentially, they looked at what is the percentage of people in a region that are not actively following Christ or practicing Christianity. And they found in the D.C. metropolitan region, that number is 48%. We, we were on their list of cities. Now, 48% may not, oh, it's better than half. But 48% of the people in this region is 3,051,088 people do not have the hope of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why we're moving into a permanent location for the 3,051,088 people? Do you want to know why unapologetically we will launch future locations for the 3,051,088 people? Why? Because someone years ago, months ago, gave, served, sacrificed so you, so me could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Therefore, unapologetically, as his followers, we will give, we will serve, we will sacrifice. Why? For 3,051,088. 1,088 people. It's about him. It's about his mission. Welcome to Catalyst Church. <laughs> this is who we are about. This is who we are about. Here's number two. So the first is we're called 
to advance God's mission. Here's number two. As I am called, we are called to invest in the faith of the next generation. He says, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, so they too may have sons and daughters. He references three generations right there. He reminds them that your faithfulness in Babylon is not just about you, but generations to come. Reminds you of what God said in Exodus 3.15, where he's speaking to Moses. He said this, tell the Israelites, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name they shall call me from generation to generation. If you are a follower of Jesus, we are called to think generationally because we serve a generational God. He said, this is how I want to be known forever. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and in Jacob. We are prone to think here and now, God is always thinking generations. And we are called to do the same. I heard a story this week, actually, about monarch butterflies. And they, they monarch butterflies every year, um, they migrate from Mexico to Canada and then back. But the group that leaves Mexico never actually are the same group that make it to Canada. It actually takes four generations of butterflies to actually make the full migration process. The first three gener generations only live about three weeks. The effects of migration are so hard on them. It's the fourth generation that makes it, and they live about six to nine months. If the first generation of monarch butterflies thought to themselves, I'm going to die in three weeks, I'm going to stay in Cancun. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, I don't want to die like somewhere in the middle of Oklahoma. You know, I'm going to stay right here. How many of you know God created those monarch butterflies? You know, God can teach us through his creation. I think it's a good reminder for all of us. James says your life is but a vapor. We can often think about our life in terms of birth to death. But God, God looks at your life as what do you do with the vapor you have for the effect of generations to come? Because we are one sliver in God's grand narrative. Like one little sliver. And here's my prayer, and I pray it for you. God, help me to be faithful, which is what you are calling me to be, in my sliver of time in your grand narrative. Because, because the impact of my life, if I'm faithful to what you're calling me to, will impact for generations to come. But if I live for the here and now, God, I might miss it. So we are called to think generationally. That's why we are a church that's building for generations to come. And I would encourage you to think through your life. How are you building a life for generations to come? Jesus said this in Matthew 19, 14. He says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This was profound because children were greatly devalued in that culture. They were not seen, because children had no social or economic capital, they were not seen as like great value to anyone. And I love this, because the disciples even were stopping the kids. <laughs> and Jesus, hear this. What the culture around him devalued, Jesus elevated. 
He said the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. But like, Jesus, you mean the one throwing a tantrum with snot coming out of his nose? That one. <laughs> Listen, Jesus unapologetically valued the next generation. So we as a church unapologetically value the next generation. It's all we invest in the next generation. We invest in our kids and in, in generations to come. Here's some practical in Deuteronomy 6. The Lord speaks to the Israelites. These commandments I give to you today, verse 6, are to be on your hearts. Impress them. Impress my word upon your children. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Here's what he says. Be intentional about passing on your faith to the next generation. I want to speak to both parents and non-parents because there's application for both. Can I submit this to you, parents? Ask you this, this question to reflect on this week. How are you intentionally discipling your children in the ways of Jesus? Can I submit this thought to you? Your children are being discipled at all times by someone. Every show they watch Every song they listen to, every book they read, every curriculum they're taught was created by someone with a belief system. And that belief system they are being discipled under. I'm not making a statement of judgment. I'm making a statement of observation. Are you following me, parents? I would submit to you, check the shows your kids watch. Check the books your kids read. Because they are being discipled. And, and to be intentional about how are you discipling your kids in the ways of Jesus? How are you discipling them? And it can be as practical as reading a kid's Bible with them, having this conversation with them, helping to navigate the life and world. I'm amazed by how much discipleship conversation can happen in a car ride. Any parents relate? It's usually right when you put them to bed, when you want them to go to sleep. They're like, Dad, I have 17 questions. <laughs> Why don't you have 17 questions at 4 p.m.? But listen, they're, 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 they're doors. I'm personally convicted. I'm with you. These are doors our kids open to us. Our, um, I was reminded of Judah's coach, baseball coach, back in the spring. I remember the first practice, he, he gathered all of the, the, the parents around, and he said, hey, um, I want to let you know about what we're going to teach your kids this, this, this spring season. And he went through all this stuff. We're going to teach them how to hit, you know, hit the ball, all this kind of stuff. He said, but I want you to know, here's the most important thing we're going to focus on the entire season. He said how to field the ball and then throw it to first base. That's our primary focus. And I watched most of the games and most of the practices. It was a long process. Come on, somebody. But he said, that's our primary win. If they can field a ground ball pick up the ball, and make an accurate throw to first base. Can I submit this to parents in the room? As a parent, we, we, we are focusing on a lot of things, right? Our kids' academic development, that's important. Their emotional health, very important. Their athletics, extracurriculars. I mean, my kids, they're in music and sports. All that is so important. But the most important thing is your kid's spiritual life. Jesus said this, you can gain the whole world. Your kid can be an all-star in soccer, get a scholarship. They can be a straight-A student. They can be a, a stellar violin player. 
but they can still lose their soul. Make their faith a priority. Please hear there's no condemnation. And, and on a practical front, is, is, is to have your kids, and I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but have your kids in church. It's not the only thing, but you would not say you value education and not have your kids not be in school. Can I encourage you? Have your kids in the house of God. Let me speak for a second, too, to those who don't have children. Do not think that somehow your role is less significant. Can I get an amen from the parents? Here's why. There are some of you in this room right now. You have invested in my kids. And I thank God for you. I have seen spiritual fruit from your investment. And even right now, my nine-year-old is beginning to look to some of you. And, and here's what I've learned from kids. They're, they're learning from you even when you don't realize it. <laughs> so your role is important. Invest in the children of this church, the children in your family, of your friends, because it matters. Barna in 2019 did this research. They found this, that 64% of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church are no longer. 64%. They found that 10% of their study, what they called, they called them resilient disciples. Those, and many of you who are in that age bracket, you would be a resilient disciple, many of you. Because they said there were three main factors of a resilient disciple. Resilient disciple has made a faith commitment to follow Jesus. They're involved in their church community beyond just attending a service. So they're in a community group. They're, they're involved in their community. They're serving. And then lastly, is they believe the Bible is the infallible word of God, the inherent word of God. They have a high regard for the word of God. So can I tell you, as this church, one of our primary reasons for the Believe Initiative is to be able to have a facility where we can not only have Sunday services where your kids can develop God-first friendships and have an encounter with Jesus, but also in the future to have midweek expressions for our students and our kids and for you as parents to grow in their faith so they can discover who they are in Christ. Here's my hope and prayer that, that at Catalyst Church, we are like the 10% resilient disciples with our kids in Jesus name. You believe with me church? We want to raise up resilient disciples who love Jesus. Let me submit one final thought about this. As a with children, more is caught than taught. In fact, Deuteronomy at the very end of the chapter, he basically says, "Your obedience today will determine the prosperity of your of the generations to come." And here's my submission to you. More important than you teaching your kids to value the Bible is do your children see you valuing the word of God? Do they see you valuing the house of God? Do they see you as a resilient disciple because more is caught than taught? We're called to invest in the next generation. Here's our final point is that I, we are called, I am called, you are called to care for your city. He says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is fascinating. He says, not only am I calling you into Babylon, I want you to seek the prosperity of Babylon. <laughs> 
I, I don't want you to, to go ahead and curse Babylon. I want you to bless Babylon. You know, as Christians, we are not called to sit at the church and just curse the darkness. We are called to shine the light of Christ in the midst of darkness. We are not called to look back and point out all that's wrong around us. We are called to be solutions to the world's problems in Jesus' name and for his glory. As we say it here, we're not called to simply reside in this community. We are called to bless a city. That's what we're called to do. I love what James says in James 1.27. He says, religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James is not saying in this moment, this is what matters most. Here's what he's saying. What was happening was he was writing to Christians who were professing Jesus, but not demonstrating spiritual fruit. So he was saying, listen, the outworking of your faith in Christ should actually you leading to you caring for those who are most marginalized in our culture which were orphans and widows in that time because their social and financial capital was wrapped up in for a wife and her husband, for children and their father. So orphans and widows were the most vulnerable and most willing to be oppressed in that culture. So he's saying you should be caring for the marginalized. Can I tell you, this is a big reason we do serve days. We come alongside organizations in fact, most of our activity on this last weekend had to do with our brothers and sisters in our city who are homeless. How many of you know when you are lacking a home, you are some of the most marginalized and vulnerable in our community? And that last week, through your generosity, through your service, you made sandwiches, you made hygiene kits, you made care packages for those who are most vulnerable in our community to remind them they are loved and they are made in the image of God. I love how Jesus, but he put it very simply. I love the simplicity of Jesus. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to encourage you to think that. How can I love my neighbor as myself? How can I do for others what I would want done for me if I was in that position? If I was in need of a listening ear, I'm going to be a listening ear to others. If I have from resource, I can give to help someone else. I want to do that for others because I would want that done for me. Can I tell you, this is the, one of the primary thrusts as well of why we are moving forward with this initiative. Here's why. We do serve days, we do outreach in our community, but we are greatly limited by our portability. You should have saw, if you were there at serve day, you saw this. We made over a thousand sandwiches and we had like 10 industrial sized coolers. Come on somebody. And let me just say this, we wanna have a permanent facility to not just have powerful Sunday services, but to bless the city throughout the week to be a blessing, to have outreach, grocery distribution, and after-school mentoring, and, and, and job training classes being held in our building. Why? Because we feel called to bless a city. I love how Jesus said it this way. He said, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to be a blessing to others. I'm going to share a video before we close of a couple um, who have been blessed by others in this community uh, and now in turn are being a blessing to others. Uh, why don't you go ahead, turn your attention to the screens and listen to Christian and Brittany's story. 
Hi, I'm Christian. And I'm Brittany. We have been together for 12 years and married four years. Uh, we used to live in California and we had the privilege to plant a church there. And we just love that experience so much, getting to work behind the scenes, getting connected and building relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's really where we kind of understood the value of community. Um, and especially in a, in a marriage and in a Christian marriage and things can get difficult and so um, we just really value that that aspect of church and um, that's kind of what brought us to Catalyst. Um, so after we had kind of gotten really involved in Catalyst we had like a few super just devastating moments in our marriage and in our life that really kind of like put a damper or a stop I would say to everything that was moving forward and everything God was doing in our lives and it felt just super devastating. Um, I know for me personally I took it really hard and um, I basically just took a step back from church and from God and I was feeling very just lonely um, and um, that, that really kind of impacted the way that I my faith walk and where I was and um, I kind of just stopped coming to church honestly mm -hmm. even after you know building up this great family at Catalyst I just felt alone and I just stopped coming. <laughs> Yeah, I was serving on a couple teams, so I was here early in the morning around other people. And it's hard to hide that for so long. And eventually uh, someone just stopped me and said, hey, I'll pray for you. You could talk to me. Uh, Jeremy and Christina started talking to us as well, just really guiding us through these really harsh times in our marriage. I would say here at Catalyst, we always talk about taking the mask off. And um, when, because we had allowed uh, ourselves to build a community at Catalyst prior to running into these these issues. Um, we just kind of had people who knew us and they knew what we were going through. And like Christian said, he was, you know, he was still serving faithfully and praying and, um, you know, leaning into his community. And it was just, there was something about him coming home and, you know, hearing like, you know, oh, so-and-so asked about you today. And I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go back to church next week or, you know, you know. People noticed and they asked about you and I always relay that and I never realized how much that meant to you. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does. So um, I would say just having our community at Catalyst was just really instrumental in like bringing us through that. One significant moment that impacted our marriage, I think, is just um, being introduced to another couple at Catalyst that had similar struggles to us. Yeah. Um, and Pastor Jeremy and Christina were really awesome about kind of connecting us with those folks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, just being able to really confide in somebody and talk through these things with other people who can relate to that. Yeah. That makes such a big deal. I don't... <laughs> I don't necessarily have a lot going on in my life to where I could like, talk to people where I'm struggling, very regular workday things. But when it comes to your marriage, especially a Christian marriage, and having another couple that's also Christian that has yeah. similar struggles and yeah. been through very similar things, I can talk you through that. That can just be somebody to listen. That that impacted us yeah, so yeah. much. It's crucial. It's crucial. And I, I remember just sitting down with them and having that first conversation. And again, like you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to share. I don't know each other very well. And once you start opening up and you realize like, wow, we're not alone. Like, you know, other people have, you know, things that happen in their lives, oh, yeah. their marriages, and they got through it and we can too. I remember after that conversation, um, you know, I just pulled over on the side of the road and I just like cried and just like 
thanked God for just the community and just thanking God for that experience. And I think that was a real pivotal turning point mm -hmm. um, for us. And so just really thankful again to the Catalyst community for that experience. Yeah, we still keep in touch with this couple and they've just been such a blessing in our lives. Yeah. And we really have Catalyst to think for. Yeah. So this is our story and we're just really excited for what um, God has next for Catalyst Church and for us and our marriage um, and just the communities that we're building here. Um, and we're just thankful to Him for allowing us to continue on this journey with each other and with all of you at Catalyst. Can we give it up for Christian and Brittany? What I love is their life was blessed by others. Now they in turn are blessing others' lives as well, which that's the heart of all of this and being on mission with Jesus and for his glory. Church, can you bow your heads with me this morning?